Welcome everybody to the Green Side Podcast. I'm glad to be back. I have a very special guest with me, Matthew Heineman. He's a documentary filmmaker. Uh, you might have seen him, his little doc he made on Netflix called Cartel Land. I've seen it, I think, three times before I even knew you, so that's how much I liked it. Uh, you got a nominated for an Academy Award for that. Uh, you also went on to do City of Ghosts, which was about a citizen journalist in, out of Raqqa, Syria. Also very compelling. And he's done all kinds of other docs. But right now, he's finally went on and done his first full feature movie called A Private War. And uh, we're happy to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I've prepared for this, and I've seen a bunch of interviews you've done, and, and you've described kind of your trajectory. And if you could just a bit describe how you even decided to become a filmmaker, because you weren't a film student, correct? No, I studied history here. Uh, my first, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And um, my senior year, I was sort of sitting around and thought I wanted to be a teacher. Uh, I applied for Teacher America, um, got rejected. <laughs> Most people didn't know you could get rejected from Teacher America, but I was I was one of the lucky ones. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just decided to go on this road trip around the U.S. with two of my buddies from Dartmouth to try to understand what our generation is about. And that was my, my first film. That was, uh, you know, my film school. I bought a, you know, camera and, and taught myself as I went. And, you know, through that whole process, just, you know, fell in love with filmmaking. And that led to um, my first job at HBO and led to sort of everything that I've done since. With all the success that you've had, do you think the 2004, 2005 map could ever have dreamed, you know, you'd be back here on campus screening a feature film that you directed is that would that have just been a mind-blowing realization you think uh yeah it's strange i, I don't <laughs> think I, I i had any sense of where where my life is going to go um when i was 21 years old uh i heard al mazel's uh sort of a mentor of mine speak and, and he said that if you end up with a story you started with then you weren't listening along the way I think that's good advice for, for life, and I think that's good advice for filmmaking. It's be open to the story changing, be open to the sort of wonderful accidents of life. And that's something that I've held true to my heart at every step along the way, uh, both in, in sort of you know my career choices and, and, and sort of the ethos uh, by which I make films as well. Now let's talk about the career choices you've made, because Cartel Land uh, is not in a setting that is safe. You're with, as you can probably guess, cartels. How did you even come up with the idea, and how did you get access to cartel members and the auto defensias, uh, like counter revolutionaries or what, whatever you call them? So I, there's two sides of the story. There's I basically followed a vigilantes group on both vigilante groups on both sides of the border, uh, you know, quote unquote fighting against the Mexican uh, drug cartels, and the U.S. side of the story is where I started, based on a Rolling Stone article that I'd read. Um, I spent about six months gaining uh, the trust of uh, my protagonist, um, Naylor, um, and then filmed there for about four months. Then my dad actually sent me this article uh, about the Auto Defensas, a group of sort of citizen vigilantes in the state of Michoacan in Mexico uh, who rose up to protect themselves and, and, and fight back against the Knights Templar cartel. And when I read this article, which my dad said, sent sort of more intellectually, like, oh, this is interesting, not like, oh, you should go down there. <laughs> uh, I was like, wow, this is this is amazing and uh, quite an you know quite an interesting parallel to what I was filming on the other side of the border. And so I reached out to him and then went down there about a week later and 
one week became about nine months. Uh, I was there on and off for sort of nine, ten months. And I thought I was telling this story about freedom fighters. I thought I was telling this story about people rising up to fight against evil. And slowly I realized that I was telling a story about those who were fighting against evil becoming evil. And, um, yeah, it was, it was quite a extraordinary experience. I'd never been in, you know, I've been in some sketchy situations before, but nothing like what I experienced in making cartel in, you know, I was in, in shootouts in the middle of the streets of, of Mitchell Khan. I was in torture chambers. I was in meth labs in the you know dark desert night. Um, yeah, a bunch of places that I never could have ever imagined being. Did you realize the level of danger you were going to put yourself in once you started the story? And as you're approaching danger, you just kind of think, well, I guess I got to go with it now. Did you ever think maybe I need to just leave and figure out a different way to tell the story? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's never. it was never about the danger. It was never about like, you know, the thrill of danger or, or sort of getting off on, 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 on being in those situations. It was always in the service of the story. And, you know, the fact is, is that, you know, I fell in love with the people of Mitchell Khan. I fell in love with the people that I was filming with. And mm-hmm. in this sort of daily cycle of violence um was a reality that they lived with that's why they rose up to 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 sort of try to get rid of the cartels you know it was almost sort of like the wild west i mean the government wasn't protecting them and so they felt like they had to rise up and protect themselves and so this violence was was just a factor of of daily life really down there and so to not capture that would have been doing a disservice to the story and so you know all those moments that i described uh to me were really important in, in holistically um, putting people on the ground, putting audience members on the ground uh, in those situations to feel the terror, to feel the horror um, that the citizens of Mitchell Khan lived with every day. It makes me think, you know, you went on to do City of Ghosts, which is about the citizen journalists out of Raqqa, Syria, and you did a lot of filming of their safe houses in, in Turkey, and then they, went, they fled to Germany. Uh, so you're repeatedly putting yourself in harm's way and it's in the service of the story. Um, but have you, I, maybe you have, maybe you haven't given serious thought to your own mortality and, and the fact that you are very realistically putting yourself on the line for the story. And I know you want to do them justice, but have you given deep thought to your own mortality in filming? Um, definitely after the fact, I mean, you know, you know, this, as, as well as I do, is that, you know, when you're in it, you're sort of focused on the task at hand and you're focused on, for me, in my case, you know, I'm focused on focusing, I'm focused on exposing and framing on the sort of aspects of filmmaking, making sure the record button's on, you know? So, <laughs> nice. so that, I think those, focusing on that really calm me down in these otherwise, you know, extraordinarily frightening and, and chaotic situations. Um, but yeah, of course, I mean, you know, uh, it definitely more so after the fact, as I said, makes you think about who are we and 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 and, and the world we're living in, and you know, uh, life and death, and um, yeah, it's definitely something I've, I've thought about a lot, and 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 honestly, in the case of Cartel and and in in the case of uh, City of Ghosts as well, is uh, probably a lot of guilt as well for for having a blue passport, for being able to leave the violence. Um, that, you know, at any point, if I wanted to leave, I could leave. And yes, there are cartels, obviously, throughout uh, this country. There's cartels in the city that I live in, in, in New York. 
Um, but the idea of them sort of coming after me in, in New York City was is not really reality. I mean, you know, maybe, but not not really. And so, you know, that guilt of being able to leave the violence and come home to safety is something that I felt bad about for you know a very long time. Do you feel an enormous pressure to do justice by your subjects? I'm sure you do. Um, but I mean, how do you ensure that you're doing the story justice? And do you ever feel there's ethical lines or maybe there's something you shouldn't capture? One really compelling scene to me in, in City of Ghosts was you catch, um, I can't remember his name, but you catch one of the guys in his, in his apartment and he's having this kind of trembling PTSD fit and, and kind of like, there's like a sleeper drops his phone. He's, or, there's all these different scenes where they're really struggling and you can see the physical effects of all the trauma they've been through. Uh, and I know you probably just keep filming, uh, but do you feel in those moments, or especially in the editing room afterwards, this pressure to just create the perfect story to do those moments the justice they deserve? I think my job is, or I guess I feel like my job is to take issues that people think they understand, issues that are sort of ripped from the headlines, um, and people are often sort of uh, overwhelmed by, and try to humanize them, try to put a human face to them, um, try to take audiences into these faraway lands and make you care and think and emp- empathize with the people that are that are uh, you know going through something. And and I think um, that's what really motivates me to make films like this is is, is to. You know, create that empathetic connection between to issues that might seem so far away, but aren't. And you know, I think a big part of that, obviously, is 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 the style with which I do, which is you know very intimate, you know, verite documentary filmmaking. You know, putting you know, uh, filming people in the most sort of extreme of circumstances, filming people in the most personal of circumstances, um, and a big part of getting that access. Um, is trust, is building trust and rapport with your subjects. Um, and it's also time. It's not sort of helicoptering in and out for a day or two and saying like, hey, you know, can I film you and then leave. It's it's spending weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months um, building that rapport so you can get those really intimate human moments, so you can get to a place where you just become a part of the fabric of their daily lives, where they don't really know that you're there. Um, they know that you're there, obviously, but that, but that it's it's not a distraction. It's not a, um, you know, they can really let their guard down and be themselves. Uh, you know, in, in the scene that you referenced in um, City of Ghosts, you know, that film was originally about something that was, you know, quite clear in my head. It was a film about uh, propaganda. It was a film about this this group of Syrian activists who rose up to dispel the the myths that. Uh, ISIS was was propagating around the world that this is a safe haven for Muslims and um, you know and and they sh- were showing the you know human rights atrocities that were being committed by ISIS on a daily basis and they paid an enormous price for that you know a number of their members of their group and family members were killed were assassinated um, some of which were uh, you know idolized in ISIS videos and um, So for me, uh, you know, that's what I thought the film was about. I thought the film was about this sort of propaganda war between this group of activists and ISIS on one hand. Um, 
but ultimately it became a story of 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 brotherhood. It became a story of an immigrant story of of um, of as they were forced to flee, uh, and it was about the sort of exodus, uh, moving from safe house to safe house as they're escaping uh, ISIS first to Turkey and then ultimately to Europe. It became a story about rising nationalism uh, in Europe as well. Um, and it also became a story about PTSD and the cumulative effects of trauma uh, that these guys had experienced. And so that final scene where you know we see one of our main characters sort of break down and uh, was was really, really important to show that you know what this had done to these men. Uh, you know and, and Syrian men are 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 quite emotive, uh, but they really, uh, don't like showing weakness, mm-hmm. and so to, to it took a long time to be able to get to that moment where he sort of broke down. Right. Now you're in these situations yourself. You obviously have your own life and your own experiences. Do you life or wife? Life. Yes. Uh, do you have a wife? I don't. Have, Never I don't a wife. Have. <laughs> uh, so you have your own life, your own experiences. Do you ever want? To incorporate them, or do you work very hard to remove your bias from your film? And is that even really, truly uh, possible to remove all bias and all perspectives, and not, you know, I don't know, not have who you are? Then there's other documentary filmmakers who had the style, like Ben Anderson. I've, I've watched some of his stuff when he goes to Afghanistan or he embeds, and he has a cameraman filming him, and he's talking. It's very much he's very much a part of it. And you obviously deliberately make a choice not to do that. Yeah. I guess why do you do that, and do you ever struggle to keep yourself separate? Um, I just don't find myself that interesting, uh, and you know, I I I try I try really really hard to be, um, you know, keep my own opinions and biases out of out of my films. You know, I think the world's divided enough, um, polarized enough. You know, I I think that the beauty of film is to really. Um, bring people together and I think you know the films in which are films that are sort of polemics uh, or essays um, and that just sort of preach the choir aren't that interesting to me um, mm. you know it's, you just sort of literally chop off half of your audience and, 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 and why do that you know why not create uh, a conversation um, to me that's you know the best of films transport you to this world and, and, and immerse you in it and um you know, instigate conversation. And that's what I love about making films. There's nothing wrong with those other types of films. That's just not what I like to do. Right. Well, now you've done a different type of film. You've done a, a, a feature film. And I'm sure there's plenty of overlap, but it is a deviation from doing strictly documentary filmmaking. One, you're the director. Uh, I, f- I also figured there's a lot more um, hands in the pie, a lot more people involved, more money. Uh, one, why and how did you choose to make this film? And two, with that, did you worry about uh, losing some control over the film? Would there be too many inputs, too many voices, and you would lose your vision? Um, it, you know, it was a totally different experience. With my docs, I'm used to being out there alone or with a tiny crew. Uh, I'd never been on a film set before to sort of walk out for the first time and have you know hundreds of people staring up and saying, you know, look at me to, as, as to what to do. Um, it was definitely a strange thing, but, it, you know, it was, it was amazing. Uh, 
but but completely different. And uh, you know, when you're making a doc, you're cognizant of money, you're cognizant of a budget. Um, you have to be, but not on sort of a minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day basis. You know, and um, I mean, sometimes you are, but but most oftentimes you're not. But with a narrative film, every single decision has a dollar sign attached to it, whether you want to turn the camera this way or that way or do another take, you know, hey, we can do that, but we might miss that scene later. Are you okay to miss that scene later? If we miss that scene later, where are we going to move that scene? Are we going to move it later? Where, you know, where are we going to move it? So it's just it's much more of a sort of puzzle. Um, and, you know, that's true whether it's a $5,000 film or a $50 million film, um, and it's just a reality. Um, that sort of intersection of, of art and commerce was, was strange to me. Um, but ultimately I tried to bring my documentary ethos into that process as much as possible. I tried to create an environment where real life could occur. I tried to create an environment where improvisation could occur. Um, there's a scene that takes place. It's, you know, the film's about a, a journalist, uh, a sort of famous war correspondent named Marie Colvin, uh, who wrote for the Sunday times of London, who, uh, ended up dying in Syria. And it's about that sort of, a, that sort of, draw to covering war and, and what that did to her uh, mentally and physically. And there's a scene in Iraq where, you know, we arrive uh, that day and, you know, just blank field and she uncovers this mass grave. And, you know, one of the things I really wanted to do is work with non-actors to work with refugees from the various countries we were depicting. So we shot all the war zones in, in Jordan. And, you know, so these women that were there that were uh, sort of reliving the trauma of this moment were real women, really from Iraq. They weren't actors, um, shedding real tears. And it just was, you know, it almost felt like a documentary verite scene. Um, you know, we moved the camera around with, with Rosamund Pike, our lead actress, um, as she was interviewing different people. And it, it was just so exciting because it felt like I was actually, you know, capturing this this real scene. And it obviously it was set up, and, and but, it, you know, it was, it was great to be able to sort of bring my my background and my experience from my docs into this into this moment and at the end of the day these women start pounding their chests and doing this prayer for the dead and you know that wasn't scripted and that wasn't planned um but it's just sort of this beautiful moment uh later in the film uh in in home syria where she where she ultimately dies um you know the the women that she interviews in the shelter were real women from homes from Syria telling their own real stories and, again, shedding real tears. Uh, the second woman that she interviews says, I don't just want this to be words on paper. I want the whole world to understand what we're going through. And that's her speaking to a, you know, quote-unquote Hollywood actress, but that's her speaking to all of us. Um, there's a scene after that where uh, a young man brings in his two-year-old boy who is uh, hit by a... Uh, by a bomb and uh end up dying on the table and and the tr you know trauma and the grief that this man brought in onto set was almost unbearable he also was from homes his two-year-old uh nephew was shot off his shoulders at a protest in homes and bled out in front of him and again just the just the grief and the gravitas that he brought into that room just was was, was really hard to handle and and rosamund pike uh, who played Marie at one point walked off set and said, I, you know, I don't know how to handle this. Like, I don't know where to put my emotions. Uh, the sort of lines between documentary and fiction are so blurred. You know, what are we doing? Are we exploiting this man? And I said to her, no, you know, 
there's so many times um, in my documentary career where I've wanted to sort of give someone a hug or to give them space, but my job is to capture these moments as it was Marie's, Marie's job, as it is your job. So, you know, he wouldn't be here if he didn't want his story to be told. And so melding those two genres, you know, narrative and, and doc, was, was, was really exciting for me. Absolutely. And I've seen the film, A Private War, and having my own experiences in Afghanistan, seeing, you know, people live, die, and especially locals. Uh, a lot of times young children will die as a result of you know, IEDs and, and bomb blasts, and there is a unique type of, you know, mourning or sound or scream that someone makes in an actual life or death situation that is, I think, uh, near impossible to replicate uh, if it's not really happening. But I will say in your film, as I was watching that, it just very much felt like something that I would experience back in Afghanistan, especially uh, the sounds of a mother grieving a child or, or something. I think that's one of the worst things that could happen to anyone losing a child. Um, and it, to me, it did seem very powerful and realistic and knowing the backstory that those were actual uh, people who are essentially reliving their trauma on the screen for you is um, is amazing. I think it's very brave of them and tough, of I'm sure, for them to, to relive that. Um, I mean, when those extras are there, I guess, how do you find them? And you have this responsibility towards everyone, including them. Uh, it's hard to watch them relive that. I mean, when it, when you say cut, I mean, do you run up and give them a hug? Do you have like their favorite donuts on set? Like, like, what do you do to kind of bring them back? You know? Yeah, I mean, that was definitely it was definitely hard, and it's definitely a strange experience. Experience, excuse me, uh, because I'm used to being in those situations, you know, in in real life, as opposed to starting trying to replicate real life. Um, but I spent, you know weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks interviewing different people uh, to quote-unquote play those roles. Um, you know, I wanted to find people that would would sort of emote authentic, you know, authentically, um, that had, you know, again, real stories from those various places, um, but that I also knew that could perform, quote-unquote, on that day. Um, so, you know, it was definitely a strange dance, um, and we we had very candid conversations. You know, this is a narrative film. This has actors. We were trying to replicate emotions, um, but I wanted I want to do so authentic authentically. And you know, they very much appreciated that. I think so many times in that part of the world, um, Arabs are are terrorists or bad guys or bad mm. women. Um, and you know, the opportunity to pay homage to the countries that they're from. Uh, you know, was was quite moving for them, and so you know, yes, it was. I was quite nervous, and you know, I didn't want them to feel exploited, but ultimately, they, they were all honestly quite grateful to be able to do this and to take part in it. Right, you know, it makes me reflect as a young man who went to Afghanistan at twenty. Uh, you very, I very much had a. I guess you don't necessarily have to, but I had a particular worldview, and then later on, I got to work for the government under Homeland Security and asylum work. And I was uh, the official who would be at the window when uh, pending asylees or their attorneys could come in and make um, in you know, inquiries into their case. And oftentimes you're dealing with people that are very emotional or sometimes upset because their case is stalled or, or what have you. And, and that was really important just for me personally because I, 
Um, there's certainly some people that can irritate or anger you, but for the most part, I was very inspired by a lot of the um, refugees, asylees, pending asylees that you meet. And in particular, there was two Syrian single mothers that um, their cases kept getting snagged. Or we kind of lost them, so it's kind of on us, and I helped find them and try to get their case back on track. And you can't root for anybody, you know, but secretly, personally, of course, you're like, man, like, you know, I had a single mom. I, I feel for them. And when they're in front of you, it's like these are just normal people trying to get food and shelter. And and for one, and without going into too much detail, one woman got to stay and then the other one uh, did not. And um, and you feel in different ways for both of them. And I think that was really important for me to experience that and gain that perspective because although we would stop and chat with local Afghanis a lot, you still, it's a very, it's a different dynamic when I'm holding a rifle. I have a grenade in my chest and I'm a Marine in your village. And it was um, a little more, I guess I'm still a government official. It's not quite equal, but I don't have a weapon. So that kind of <laughs> would change the tone of the, the conversation. That was very important for me. I saw in a different interview you did that you mentioned that um, Paul Conroy, who's kind of like um, Marie Colvin's photographer, uh, and that's the actual guy. He's played by Jimmy Dorian. The Dornan. Dor- How do you say it? Jimmy Dornan. Dornan, there it is. Yeah. And um, you said that he was on set uh, all the time or frequently or every day. or Was having that person that you're you know, portraying helpful or was it intimidating to have the person on set kind of like, well, that's not actually how it happened? Or did you find it extremely enlightening or reassuring? Um, you know, for an actor like Jamie or any actor really, uh, to have the, the real life person there on set is, is quite an intimidating thing. Often, um, some actors are just like, no, it's not, not, not happening. Um, so I was a bit nervous about, you know, whether that dynamic would work. Paul, you know, Conroy, the, the real Paul Conroy is, is an amazing, uh, just big hearted, funny sort of weathered guy. And, um, he just got along with Jamie quite well. And so, you know, they, they became close friends almost immediately. And so, you know, Paul was a consultant on the film and originally was supposed to be there for a couple of days and ended up, you know, never leaving. Um, <laughs> so, you know, he, he was just a huge inspiration, not just to Jamie, but to Rosamond and to myself and to the entire crew as this living, breathing example of, of, of why we we're making this film. And he, uh, you know, re- was extraordinarily helpful with all the different departments and, and helping with my goal of trying to make it authentic as authentic as possible. Um, you know, and 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 you know, for me, the film is 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 sadly quite timely. You know, it's it's an homage not just to Marie, but to journalism um, at a time when journalism is under attack, at a time when certain people in power are are denigrating journalists. You know, I think it's so important to be celebrating uh, people who are out there fighting for the truth, people who are out there, you know, shedding light on dark corners of the world. And, um, you know, that's what Marie did. Uh, Marie had this amazing ability to go to places that seem so far away and to get people to stop and to care. And that's something that, that, that tormented her as well, is are my words, are these stories making a difference? Um, you know, and she suffered dearly from it. She suffered dearly from PTSD, progressively so as her career went on, which you know we depict in the film. Uh, and you know that's another thing, honestly, that was quite important to me is that 
you know, it's something that I suffered from a bit and, uh, I don't think PTSD has really been explored too often in films or at least well. And, and so depicting PTSD and the moral injury of war, uh, was, was really important to me. So someone who has only known you for maybe an hour, um, do you, I'm obviously seeing some, some parallels. Do you, did you see yourself a bit in some capacity in Marie Colvin? And is that why you chose to direct this screenplay? Because I think I've heard you say previously you had uh, a lot of different offers coming in and different things come across your desk and you're like, nah, but this one stuck out to you. Is it because there's some similarities there? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think, I think it, it's, it, it, it spoke to me in a really profound way. It felt really timely. Uh, and it was really personal. Like I, it felt like I could, I could bring something unique and special to the story. And I guess in some way, again, I, the story is never about me and I, I, I keep myself out of all my films. Um, but I guess in some ways it was, it was partially a self-examination as to why I do what I do, um, as well. Um, you know, I, Marie covered war for decades uh, and you know, it was in so many sketchy and dangerous situations. You know, I've I've been in some myself, not nearly as long as she has, but um, I, I yeah, I very much empathize with what she's gone through um, and what she's tried to what she tried to do with her career uh, before she was killed. I think now that this is the entire point, but it is a good uh, note to make is the importance of self care, and um, you see, like you said, her progressively suffering from PTSD. Has making this film made you reflect on yourself and how you engage your own self-care, being that you frequently expose yourself to danger in your line of work? Have, did, you, did it cause you to pause and reflect on how to um, uh, deal with some of that in your own life? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think over the past couple of months, I've definitely been in a probably a more uh, introspective place and... Uh, taking stock of, of where I am in my career and what I've done and, and, and uh, how I want to move forward. Speaking of moving forward, what, what is next? You've already done so many amazing things. Uh, what's next? And I don't know, do you feel pressure at all to keep performing at a, a high level or do you just see things like, that looks interesting, I'll do that? I don't think I feel external pressure. I feel a ton of internal pressure, I guess. I, I feel... Uh, again, extraordinarily lucky to be able to do what I do, to be able to tell stories, to be able to go to places and have people open up their lives to me. Uh, and I don't take that lightly at all. And so, you know, I feel like, yeah, just pressure to keep telling stories that matter. Um, right now I'm doing a, a series for Showtime on human trafficking. Um, I'm potentially looking into doing a film, uh, uh, in Afghanistan, um, uh, I prefer not to go into details about, it, but um, I'm I'm uh, developing a narrative film about uh, a very specific story from a woman who survived the Paradise Fires in in Northern California, um, and yeah, and in, in, in sort of uh, sort of supporting other filmmakers as an, as more of an executive producer role. And helping other people who are younger than me, you know, tell stories as well, which is sort of a fun place to be in my career now that I can, you know, help people like, you know, a lot of people help me. So, um, you know, that's really fun to be able to do as well. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited from everything you've just described to see what you come out with next. You know, I did a lot of deep diving and 
uh, hours worth of watching your docs. I already had previously, but I caught up on some more of them and uh, fantastically done. I love City of Ghosts, obviously, telling that story is so important. I love Cartel Inn, and you had this juxtaposition of these two characters, and they were so complex, and you loved them, then you were like, eh, and then you didn't like them, and you liked them again. It was so, it's such interesting subjects, and A Private War was just fantastic. And, you know, once you know the background of little things, like the extras you chose, and 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 the people you had on set to you know advise you and having a great cast uh you know obviously it, it turned out really well and and me personally having not experienced all those things but something in this, a similar realm i thought it was just great the extras you had and you could tell the the passion they had or the real pain i mean i sensed it having seen it in real life and i thought that was very well done i want to thank you for coming to the podcast it's been fantastic and i wish you the best of luck and everything else you're doing after this thanks man thanks yeah. for having me thank you